Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 71, Happy Medium. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Today's battle buddy moment is a Facebook review from Daylene, and she says, Jessie is such an amazing coach. She has helped me see my own thoughts and figure out my best outcome. She has such great knowledge and wisdom. Thank you so much for that review, Daylene. I really appreciate it. I want to give you guys a heads up that in the new year, I'm going to be doing a giveaway of some cool stuff all focused around reviews because I need some new reviews. And I know that lots of you are out there listening and enjoying the content that I'm putting out. And it would mean so much to me if you would just take a minute and go leave me a review so that I have lots more to choose from when it comes to my battle buddy moments at the beginning of my episodes. So it helps me, it helps you, and it helps other people. So take a minute and and do that. That'd be so great. Okay, so the title of this podcast episode is Happy Medium, and I want to tell you what I mean by that. So the life coaching concept that I'm going to teach you guys about today is watching out for all or nothing thinking. And the way I like to think about this is to be seeking for happy medium thinking. And I know that still doesn't probably make sense to you, but I'm going to continue to explain it and and give lots of examples so that you can understand what it is that I am trying to talk to you about today. So there's a couple of ways that all or nothing thinking shows up in our life in a way that it doesn't serve us to think this way. And one of those ways is in our thinking, all or nothing thinking, like I talked about. And then another way is in our action line with all or nothing actions or solutions to problems. And then the final way we'll see it is in our results line that we end up with these results we don't want based on our all or nothing thinking or actions. I remember learning about this all or nothing thinking for the first time, listening to Jody Moore's podcast, episode number eight, and it's titled Watch Out for All or Nothing Thinking. And even though I already knew about this problem, I had never called it that, and I didn't have a lot of awareness around it because I had never learned about it specifically. So that's the beauty of listening to these podcast episodes is that it increases your awareness. It gives you names to call problematic ways of thinking. You know, it gives you tools to work on those problematic ways of thinking. So that year that I was consuming Jody's podcast and my husband was deployed, I was doing a daily walk that year. And that was just one of my goals for the year. And I really enjoyed it. And I still will go for walks frequently, but I made it a special point that year to try to go on a walk every single day. And I definitely didn't do it, but I got pretty close. Anyway, I remember listening to her episode about all or nothing thinking and realizing that that was one of the reasons that I would miss chunks of time on my walk is I would say, oh, you know, I've, I've already missed a day. I might as well miss two or three more, you know, and now that it's not perfect anymore, it's not worth doing. That's like that all or nothing thinking. And another example of the way I would think about it that pertain to these walks is as I would go outside to leave my house and go on my walk, I would see 
all the weeds in my yard. Now, if you've listened to my recent episode, if your brain was a garden, you'll know how I feel about weeds. It's a love-hate relationship. Now, there's a lot to be learned from them, but oh man, weeds are the worst. So I would leave my house to go on this walk and I would just see all the yard projects that needed to happen and all the weeds that were getting away from me. And again, you know, my husband's away and I give myself permission to let the yard slip a little bit while he's gone. Uh, My kids and I will still get out there and work on it and we will ask for help. Like if someone is offering our family service, we'll say, oh, we'd love some help in the yard because that's just one area that suffers when he's away. But it doesn't mean that I don't walk past my weeds and feel strong urges (laughs) to beat myself up about them on a regular basis. So I remember listening to this episode and I had just walked past my weeds and the thought that had gone through my head as I looked at my weeds was, I don't have time. Like I look at my weeds and I would think there's so much to do. And then I would think, well, I don't have time to do all this weeding, so I'm not going to do any of it. That was sort of the, the all or nothing thinking that was going on in my head. And then I proceeded on in my walk and pushed play on this all or nothing episode. And I thought, oh, I just did that. That's so funny. If I don't have time to weed the entire yard, then I'm not even going to pull one weed. Now, logically, I would make plans like, okay, kids, let's get out here and weed for five minutes every night, you know? And so it's not that you're not overcoming this all or nothing thinking and still doing, you know, logical solutions, but it's so interesting to understand what it is and gain that awareness of it so that you can see when it is stopping you. So the reason we have this problem, this all or nothing thinking problem is because of our lower brain and because our lower brain is binary. It works in absolutes. It works in black and whites. And it works in either or instead of and statements. I'm going to get into that in a minute. And the reason is because binary is so much simpler than this grand complex spectrum of thoughts and solutions available to you. And when you're in a binary state of mind, there's not resistance. There's not cognitive dissonance. It's just one right way and one wrong way. And it's, it just can feel more comfortable, but it's this kind of false sense of comfort. And another reason is because it feels so good to be right. And our lower brain wants to be right almost more than anything else. And so if there's only one way to think about something right and every other way is wrong, that's that binary way of thinking, then we get to feel right because we believe that the way we're thinking is right. So all of that really just feeds into our lower brain. And near the end of this episode, I'm going to talk to you about how that that doesn't always hurt us to think that way. And I love to bring this up because as you learn about your lower brain from me and from this podcast, we tend to want to throw it away. I've talked about that. But my goal is always to show you how to just get on the same page as our lower brain, to identify what our lower brain offers us that doesn't serve us and what our lower brain does for us that's so amazing and is totally a superpower. So a binary way of thinking is not always a problem. And we're going to get into that near the end. So a way that I like to talk about this kind of problem, this problematic thinking in my coaching is I like to visualize with my clients that spectrum of options or the way I really see it in my brain is like a gauge or a dial where, you know, it goes zero to a hundred, right? And there's all these ticks and there's a, what is that word? There's an indicator on the dial that's showing you what tick you're on in between zero to a hundred. So it's like a half circle. Are you guys envisioning this with me? Now, when I say happy medium, because again, the reason I titled this episode happy medium is to me, that's the solution to all or nothing thinking is just finding the happy medium. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be in the center of zero to a hundred. It just means you acknowledge all the ticks 
all the spots on that spectrum or that dial in between zero and 100 that are available to all people. (laughs) So let me give you some examples of what I've seen in my coaching when we've used this spectrum analogy. I have a client come to me who is completely overwhelmed with emotions and fear and stress and anxiety and their husband is deployed and they are just in this state of every little conversation is hard because they're overanalyzing what their husband says or that maybe they didn't say the right thing or enough and then they're missing him so much when they're not talking to him and what everybody else says is really challenging because they don't understand what's going on and what they describe to me and what often a lot of us deal with is kind of this state of what I like to call being overly affected by something. So if you're looking at the model, and I want to throw in here because I don't say this very much, but if you are starting with this episode and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the model, go back to the beginning to episode one where I talk about the model. Now, by design, you do not need to listen to this podcast in order. I want my listeners to be able to jump around and pick and choose whatever episode sounds interesting to them or is applicable to what they're going through. But you also can listen to it in order because the information does build on itself in a way. But I try to say it in a way that you could just drop in and listen to anything. But if you are struggling with some of the words that I use, you might want to go back and just listen to the first couple of episodes where I'm doing a lot of explaining of some foundational terms that I use all throughout my coaching. So go back and listen to episode one if you're struggling with anything about the model. So for this client's model, her husband being deployed is in her circumstance line. She's thinking a lot of things about him being gone. One of them being like, this is so overwhelming. Okay. That kind of sums up a lot of those other thoughts I just mentioned. And then she's feeling overly emotional, overly affected by these overwhelming thoughts. And then the action line can look different from person to person. Sometimes we respond to this overwhelm by getting lost in activities and just staying so busy so we don't have time to think about those overwhelming thoughts. And other times we freeze and we're so overwhelmed by our thoughts and our feelings that we just hold still and do nothing. I mean, not literally nothing. Well, sometimes literally nothing. But anyway, so the action line will look different based on who is experiencing the overwhelm or maybe even different from day to day for for these different clients. And then they get a result from those actions, which is that they're, I like to call it, they're having just extra suffering in their life. So the reason I call it extra suffering is because they're basically just taking something that's already hard, like living through a deployment, being a solo parent during a deployment, having your spouse be away for a year at a time or your significant other. That's already just hard in and of itself, just regular hard. And then we're adding hard on top of it by adding in the overwhelm and the exhaustion. And, you know, there's usually a lot of other stuff that comes along with it, like being really hard on ourselves or, you know, neglecting ourselves. Lots of different things will come along with overwhelm. So then the solution that our lower brain offers us in that moment tends to be something like, and, and this is one reason we go to that action line of I'll just stay really busy is it tends to go to something like I am thinking and feeling way too much and I want to think and feel nothing or at least a lot less. So then we go, we turn to solutions like buffering, where we want to just turn our brain off, right? We need to escape our brain because our brain is so overwhelming. And another solution is, you know, like I said, stay busy. Don't let yourself think about it. You know, just really try to avoid all of that overwhelming thinking. So our lower brain is bouncing back and forth between being totally overly affected by the fact that our husband is deployed, by the thoughts that we're having about that, to the other end of that spectrum or that dial to under affected. And what I help my clients realize is we just want to be 
regular affected, regularly affected by the fact that our husband's gone, which means we just want to be realistic and compassionate and loving and understanding towards ourselves for the experience that we're having. And we want it to be challenging and hard, but we don't want it to consume us. And we also don't want to have to totally escape our thoughts, right? So those are like bouncing back and forth between those two ends of the spectrum. And that's what I mean by happy medium is where we look at one extreme and the other extreme and we find what works for us in the middle. Now from one military wife to the next, that medium solution will look different. It depends on your personality. It depends on your stage in life. It depends on your abilities. It depends on your strengths and your weaknesses, you know, what your happy medium will look like. So that's just you finding your version of that. Let me give you another example. Another area where we struggle when our husband's away is feeling like a good mom. So if we're looking at that spectrum, we're seeing on one end of the spectrum is the perfect mom who does everything perfectly and is there for her kids and never raises her voice, makes time for everything and everyone, including herself, and is helping out with PTA and is taking meals to neighbors who are sick and is cooking a home-cooked meal every night and pays all the bills on time and reads to her kids every day and they're all getting good grades and she makes sure that their homework is done perfectly and on time and that her house is clean and her kids' bedrooms are clean and the pets are well taken care of and anyway, I could go on and on. That was all very easy for me to come up with on the fly. So we see her on one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum is a terrible mother who is just non-functioning, not meeting anybody's needs, including her own, uh, makes commitments and breaks them, yells at her kids every day, uh, is always ordering takeout, is not making time to connect with her spouse who's deployed, uh, isn't scrapbooking, isn't calling her mother. You know, there's lots of things. Okay. And I want to say that that is not the definition of a good mom and bad mom. That's just a definition that my brain comes up with for what makes a good mom and those things I listed and what makes a bad mom and those things I listed. And that is all coming pretty much from my lower brain because my lower brain believes there's such a thing as a good mom. There's one way to be a good mom and one way to be a bad mom, even if I rationally and logically understand that's not true. And then what my lower brain does is it takes one action I do, like I lose my temper and yell at my kids sometimes. And it says, oh, I'm all the way on that end of the spectrum now. I'm a bad mom. Or maybe I do something great. And then it starts to have a little hope like, oh, maybe I'm going to be a perfect mom, (laughs) you know? And so it's just like bouncing back and forth between those two ends of these extreme ends of this spectrum that are both untrue and both relatively unattainable. Like it would take a lot of work to be a 100% bad mom 100% of the time. And it would take an insane amount of work to be a 100% good mom 100% of the time. And what our lower brain does not make room for is that happy medium. It's where we fall in the middle of that dial where a lot of days we're doing a great job and some days we do really poorly. And even just from moment to moment or hour to hour, we might have like three great hours in a row where we're playing with our kids and cleaning our house and feeling so good about ourselves. And then, you know, we get something in the mail that stresses us out, or we have a phone call with our husband that doesn't go over well, and we get a little stressed out. And then we had a plan for dinner, but it doesn't quite come through. And then we have a couple hours in a row where it doesn't go great, right? But there's no day and no mom that is all one or all the other. But in our binary lower brain way of thinking, we believe no matter how illogical it is, we believe that it should be one or the other. We go from one end to the other when we, we shoot for the perfect mom. And when 
when we do one or two things wrong, we put ourselves all the way down to worst mom ever. This goes along with what I talk about in episode three of my podcast, which is B minus work versus perfectionism. And if you are a person who struggles with perfectionism, or if you're like a very detail oriented person or something like that, you'll probably notice that you struggle with this all or nothing thinking quite a bit. And for me, I don't, I don't personally feel like I struggle that much with perfectionism. I really like that B minus concept where I'm always shooting to get an A plus grade on everything I do, but I'm happy with getting anything that's like a B minus or above because I know that it doesn't work to get A plus on everything. And another way I like to look at it is if I, if we're going with that grade analogy is I get some A's and some C's, but I'm going for that B average, right? I'm getting a B average across the board and I'm really happy about that. So even, like I said, even myself who I feel like I don't struggle with perfectionism, I still struggle with all or nothing thinking. So I'm not saying that those are the only people who struggle with this. You just might notice that you struggle with it maybe at a little bit higher level if that with that perfectionistic thinking comes that belief that there is right ways to do things and wrong ways to do things. So that's what we're going to get into next is what it looks like to think and believe this way and what some great solutions are. So I want to say in, at this point in the episode that I believe that there are absolute truths in the world and there are things that are always wrong. And this basically for me just comes down to the Ten Commandments is what I was trying to sum up what those absolute truths are. And they, they really cover it quite well. But beyond those areas of life, and there really aren't that many, where those absolute truths exist, everything else are just people's opinions. And so we want to watch for that little trap we can fall into of thinking that our opinion is right or someone else's opinion is wrong. When really there's room for everyone to have whatever opinion they want to have about most things in the world. There are lots of right ways to think about something. So let me give you another example here. Going back to parenting, it can be a very easy trap to fall into to think that the way you parent is the right way to parent and the way other people parent is the wrong way to parent. Even from not even like people outside your home or strangers, but even like your spouse, right? You can say, oh, this is the right way to discipline. And that means the way he's doing it is the wrong way to discipline. But what I want to encourage you in that moment, especially where you're trying to co-parent, right? So you want to be on that same page with your partner, even if you have totally different opinions on certain aspects of parenting. What I want to show you is that it's available to you to decide what you want to believe, not because it's the right way to believe, but it, because it's the way you want to believe and show up in the world. And when you're in that place, then you can love the way you've decided to believe and act in the world and then allow others theirs. So it's not about not having an opinion about things. And it's not about not feeling really strongly about something, about what you, the way you want to believe about something. But it's just knowing that you stand up for your way in a way that you know that there's lots of ways to think about this. So if we stuck with that parenting example, you could say, I love the way I you know, do bedtime or discipline my child. And I prefer it. And that's why that's the way I do it. But I don't need to change the way my husband thinks about it. And I don't need to go convince my friend that she should be putting her son in timeouts in a different way because she loves her way of thinking about it. Your husband loves his way of thinking about it. Now, if you live your opinion and you're welcome to share your opinion with others, but you're going to share it in such a different way when you know that your way is right and their way is right. You, it takes you out of that convincing energy. When you believe that there's one right way and that it's your way, again, even though you can logically know that's not true, we can still take action from that belief. So 
you might logically know, okay, there's three ways to, you know, or 10 ways to discipline a child. You might sneakily be believing that your way is the best one instead of just that parallel belief of loving your way the most. And then you see your friend discipline her child in a certain way. And you have that sneaky belief that your way is the right way. And if your way is the right way, then the other ways are the wrong ways. And then you want to tell your friend about the way that's worked so well for you, but because you are sneakily believing your way is right and better than hers, it's going to come off in that super convincing energy. The main thing we need to do when we love something that we've decided to believe in is just live it ourselves full out and set that example for the people around us. And we do not have a job of convincing other people to think and believe the way that we've decided to think and believe. Just by living it, you're showing people an example of living that way. I have a podcast episode that I want to recommend you guys go listen to. It's uh, Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School, episode number 325. And she talks about all or nothing thinking. And she gives some great examples. And one that I love that she said was that we tend to believe that humans are good or bad, right? We want there to be just good guys and bad guys in this world. But humans are not good or bad. They are good and bad. Every single human on the planet, because we know, we truly know there's no perfect human being on the planet. So even just like your greatest hero who you want to believe can do no wrong. They do mostly good probably, but they also have some bad in them, some mistakes, some errors, some faults, right? And then you can go to the worst criminal in prison who has just lived a terrible life and he is not 100% bad either. He's done some good things in his life. There's just not one person on this planet that is 100% good or 100% bad. And that's kind of going to what I referenced at the beginning of the episode that our lower brain thinks in either or. So humans are either good or bad, right? And our higher brain is able to see, no, humans are good and bad. So there's the either or statements replacing those with your higher brain, those and statements. And our higher brain is able to do this critical thinking where we're able to, we don't need there to be simple solutions to problems. We don't need there to be just one way to think about it that's right and everything else is wrong. We're able to think about it critically. We're able to understand both sides of an idea and then make a decision of where we want to stand. And when we're able to do that, we're able to hold space for alternative views. It's so powerful to know that we don't all have to think one way I really like this idea because there's so many issues at hand that don't have just one answer, one solution to it. And my kids will come to me and say, what about this? And I'll say, well, here's kind of what the world is saying. They want you to think it's either this or this, you know, kind of two, these two options. But I like to think that there is a more happy medium answer here, that sometimes it's this way and sometimes it's this way, right? And we, our brain can be a little bit uncomfortable with that idea because we want, again, we want to have those absolutes. We want to live in a world that's simple and has easy answers, you know? So I'll give you a couple examples. With the recent election, if you were researching your options with your lower brain and made a decision on the candidate you wanted to vote for, then your lower brain would believe that this candidate is the right one to vote for and the other candidate is the wrong one to vote for. And not only that, but watch, if that was your feeling, think back to see if you were thinking this guy is a good guy and this guy is a bad guy. And I would hear, I would read people's comments on social media and I would hear from acquaintances and friends and 
family members that would say things like this to me. How could they vote for that guy? He's such a bad guy. This guy is the right one to vote for, whatever, right? And we're not going to get into who voted for who and what because everyone just gets to decide who they want to vote for and leave space for everyone else to decide who they want to vote for. There isn't one right way to vote in an election, okay? So if you are deciding who you want to vote for with your higher brain, you're doing what I talked about where you're understanding both sides of the of the idea, both options available to you, if we're just talking about the two main presidential candidates, right? Then you make your decision based on not because it's the right one, but it's just because you have to make a decision. If you're going to vote, you have to pick one. So you pick one and then you hold space for all the alternative views. So you hold space for everyone who's decided to vote for the other guy, the guy different than who you decided to vote for. This is what I call happy medium. I made sure that when my lower brain would say, this guy's good and this guy's bad, I would remind myself, I see why you're thinking that, but this guy has done some good things and some bad things, and this guy has done some good things and some bad things. And I can't make my decision based on that because neither one is all good or all bad, or neither one is even mostly good or mostly bad. They're both kind of 50-50, you guys. I don't know what you think. And then I would also watch for my brain to, rather than just loving my decision of who I decided to vote for, I would watch my lower brain have urges to think that who I voted for was right and that who other people voted for was wrong. And I would again just say, I see why you're thinking that. You know, I would try to remind my brain of this. But there's no one right way to vote or one wrong way to vote. I see why I voted for who I voted and I see why everyone else who voted differently voted the way they voted. I held space for all of those options. And it felt so good. I, I experienced very little turmoil and stress during the elections because I just stood by my decision and I loved everybody else's decision. And I didn't even have that big of a stake in who won because I knew it would just one of them would win or the other. Maybe it would be the person I voted for and maybe it wouldn't. But I didn't want to add all that extra stress and undue anxiety and get into that convincing energy when talking to other people about politics. I just listened to them, what they had to say, and then I could see why everyone made the decision they made. When you catch your brain, I've talked about this in previous episodes, you catch your brain saying, I just can't understand how someone could do that, how someone could think that way. That's you just being very trapped in that one way of thinking and the key to working better in the world with other people who get to think and believe and do other things differently than what you would prefer is seeking that understanding. And it's not always easy to come by, but when you understand, when you're willing to understand, or even if you don't understand, you can say, I don't understand, but I know there's a reason, right? That this person is doing it this way. But our lower brain wants to throw it out and just say, I can't understand why they would do that. That makes no sense to me, right? And just throw it out. Another example of this is the way that we've been experiencing life with COVID-19. Now again, politics and coronavirus, these are kind of hot button topics, and I don't want to spend too much time here because I don't want to get too caught up in the drama that can come from talking about hot button topics. But I want to show you the path to peace, even amidst hot button topics. Okay, so let's just take one example from coronavirus and talk about masks just for a second. So there are people in the world who think wearing masks is a great idea, thinks that it helps a ton believes in it, believes that it's making a big difference. And then there are people in the world who think it, it is controlling and that it makes no difference and that they shouldn't have to. And that in fact, it's hurting people, right? And it's completely available for you to get on one side or the other of that and, and think that your way is right and other people are wrong. But I'd like to suggest that 
again, after understanding both sides of an idea, do your own personal research, then decide where you want to stand for you and your family, then hold space for other people and the way they want to think about it. And so when you understand both sides of it, then choose your side. Then you can see, okay, I get why this is bugging people. You know, for example, my family wears masks. We like our decision to wear masks in hopes that it's helping. I don't even, I honestly don't even know how much it helps, but I believe that it does help and I hope it helps and I'm willing to do it. But I also understand where people are coming from who don't want to wear masks. I understand why it feels like a big deal to them. And I'm still going to love that I wear a mask and that I help my kids wear masks. There's room for both sides. One thought that helps me if you're struggling to wear masks, but want to have a better attitude about it, because in a lot of places you have to. I got a letter of counsel that wasn't just sent specifically to me, but it was sent to my church, members of my church. And it basically just said this line that has really helped me. And it said, it's the least we can do. So whether or not it's making a huge difference, and I believe that it is, whether or not it's a big inconvenience to you, and for me, it really isn't. It's pretty easy to do. Whatever you stand on all of that, try on this thought of wearing a mask is the least I can do. It's really not that hard. It really doesn't change my day. And there's a chance that it's helping a lot of people. There's a chance it's helping slow the spread. There's a chance it's helping the people who are super immunocompromised. So try on that thought if you're wanting to have a better attitude about masks. I want to share a couple more simple examples to drive this point home. You'll notice that there are kind of personal examples that it's just happening with you, like I talked about with the weeds or with, you know, going on my walk, right? And then there's kind of bigger examples that affect you and the people around you and maybe even the world, you know, like politics or COVID-19. And that's how it goes with these life coaching concepts, There's ways we can apply it in just very small and simple ways. And then there's often ways we can apply these tools to huge, life-altering, really intense problems we're experiencing. And I like to give you both kinds of examples because depending on what you're experiencing in in your life, both can bring you relief. We can get relief from tiny problems and relief from big problems just based on what it is that we're going through right now. So a couple of other smaller, simpler examples of all or nothing thinking really comes into play when you are trying to maybe lose weight, trying to exercise and get more healthy, trying to eat in a certain way. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of these examples. You'll notice that if you have decided to eat a certain way, that you will be tempted to cut something completely out of your life. And that's totally fine. Like you might say, I'm not going to eat any more sugar. Okay. But that can be quite hard to sustain sometimes. And it's a little bit of that extreme way of thinking, right? I can either just eat all the sugar I want or eat zero sugar, right? The two ends of that spectrum. So your happy medium might be, I'll tell you what happy medium I've found. The happy medium for me is I say, as I'm, I'm in my own pursuit of getting healthier, I say I avoid. So when I can, I try, I don't eat sugar. But if there's a little bit in the salad dressing I'm eating or a little bit in the peanut butter I'm eating, I'm not going to worry about that too much. At the same time, I occasionally will have a donut or a brownie. I make exceptions, but I plan for them, right? So that's how I avoid sugar. I used to just eat sugar whenever I wanted and not really think about it, but I'm wanting to feel differently and get healthier and put more good foods into my body that fuel me. And sugar is just not a huge part of those goals. So I watched my brain think I needed to completely cut out sugar. And that's not, again, that's not a problem if that works for you. But if you think that cutting out sugar is the solution, 
And then you find yourself, you know, sabotaging yourself or just not being able to stick with it because you're trying to muscle through. You might want to do something that's just a little bit more into that happy medium, like avoiding sugar, right? Another tip I have along these lines is when it comes to maybe exercising, you might set a goal like I'm going to exercise every day, right? And the two ends of that dial are, you know, exercising every day perfectly or never exercising, right? It's the other end of the spectrum. And your happy medium might be using this word I like, similar to the word avoid rather than no, right? I use the word regularly. I exercise regularly, okay? So that's who I'm working on being is someone who exercises regularly. But the value in me exercising doesn't come from me doing it every day. And my success in being a person who exercises regularly doesn't come from me doing it every day. And then that leaves room in my life for life, for humanness, right? For it just not happening every day and that's totally fine. So then when I have that belief that I'm just a person that exercises regularly and that's my happy medium, then if I miss a day, the next day when I go back to exercise, right? If I miss a day or two, whatever, the next day I go back to exercise, my lower brain will say, oh, well, you missed the last couple days. You might as well just keep sitting on the couch or whatever, right? That's that all or nothing thinking. And then I'm able to answer it with like, oh, I don't, I don't exercise every day. I just exercise regularly. So here I am back at it. You know, there's no, there's no extreme, like it only makes sense and it's only worth it if I do it every day without fail, right? That goes to that concept that I talk about in my episode of the seven tips to enhance the weight loss experience you're having, where there's no wagon to fall off of. We have this mental construct of a wagon that we're on when we're doing something perfectly and every day and then we mess up, right? And we fall off the wagon. But that's just something we made up. It's not even real. (laughs) And it goes to that all or nothing thinking. So, So along those lines, we don't have to be all or nothing in finding a happy medium. There are things in your life that you can intentionally choose to just 100% abstain from and it doesn't even have to be extreme. It only ends up not serving you and feels extreme when you find yourself having to do it in every area of your life. Like, I have to be a perfect mom. I have to never eat sugar again. Like, like, you know what I mean? But you can decide, like, I will never drink soda again. You can just pick something that you want to abstain from forever. And that's, that's okay. So we can abstain in some areas if we like our reasons why, and if it's working with our personality and our goals we're wanting to accomplish. And then we can just use moderation in other areas, more like I avoid white sugar, but occasionally have a donut, right? You have to decide what will work for you and just make room for what makes sense and just avoid that all or nothing thinking when it's not serving you. So the reason that we're worried about thinking this way, the reason that it feels like not a good solution to think in this happy medium way We're worried about a couple of things. So one thing that we're worried about is that we're worried that when we make room in a black and white world for gray, that might be one way you look at the happy medium, is that what we're doing is just justifying bad behavior, bad thoughts, bad actions, bad decisions, right? We're just making room for it and justifying and letting ourselves get away with bad things, okay? But that's not at all what we're doing. When we are intentionally seeking with our higher brain and using critical thinking, when we're intentionally seeking to find the happy medium that serves us, that works for us, that is for our greater good, that evolves us to the next version of ourselves, that is sustainable, that is healthy, that is what our brain and body want and need, that is not us justifying bad behavior. We make room for gray. We find our happy medium 
because we then work better in the world with other people who think differently and believe differently and behave differently. And we feel better and we have more confidence in the decisions that we're making and we get more done and we love ourselves more along the way. That's what happy medium is accomplishing for us. Another thing we worry about, and this is going to be another reference to Hamilton, for those of you that enjoyed that one in my last episode. One thing that the characters really get after Aaron Burr for is that he stands for nothing. And I think this is another thing that we worry about when we're afraid to get away from the all or nothing thinking. So they'll say to him, you know, Burr, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Right? That's one line they, they, they say to him to illustrate this point. And, and even at the end when, or near the end, when they're asking Alexander for which president are you going to endorse? Are you going to endorse Thomas Jefferson or Aaron Burr? Both of those men were running for president. And he ends up standing for Thomas Jefferson because he knows what Thomas Jefferson believes in and he doesn't know what Aaron Burr believes in because Aaron Burr's stance, at least what's portrayed in in this play, and I don't know how historically accurate this is, but again, just referencing Hamilton here, not necessarily history, is that he keeps a low radar. That's one way to say it. Or he, he does try to kind of be a man for everybody rather than have really strong opinions. And he tries to avoid doing and thinking things that could go against the norm or against the flow, right? He doesn't want to come up. He doesn't want to come against resistance is what it kind of looks like to me. And I think sometimes this serves him and sometimes it doesn't. So there's like a line in one of the songs where he says, you know, if you keep out of trouble, you double your choices. So he's watching his friends start the revolution and he's saying like, lower your voices, you know, like if you, if you keep out of trouble, you double your choices. And I think that in a way that serves him because he's, he's right that he is just a little bit more observant, a little bit more careful, a little bit more calculated and that, that can serve him. But then he does kind of end up never standing for anything, right? And he is living in a time where you know, if he, he says in another song, like, if you say what what's on your mind, you can get shot. You know, he lives in a time where this really is life and death. And this is his way of coping with it, where his friends are, a lot of his friends are standing up loudly for what they believe in. And some are getting shot, right? And some are changing the world. So there are some really hard consequences to really standing up strongly for what you believe in. And then there's some really amazing rewards that come from standing up really strongly for what you believe in. And his solution is to just stay under the radar, right? Just stay kind of low key and just in that more observation role and and not put up any, any resistance. And so we're worried that we're doing this, I think, when we're seeking for that happy medium. We're thinking, well, if I don't have a strong opinion, then it's like I don't even have an opinion. But what I'm wanting you to watch for when you're looking for this happy medium is to avoid having an extreme opinion. I want you to have crazy strong opinions. I want you to feel so strongly about what you believe to be true and what is important to you. And I want you to put it out there for the world. But from this space of, I love what I believe, I make room for whatever, what everyone else wants to believe to. You're going to show up in the world in such a different way. You can still go change the world. Like for example... I'm putting out this podcast because I love this work so much. I love this information so much. I love what I believe. And I also know it's not for everybody. I also know that there's people who want to think and believe different ways. And that is just fine. But I'm living my life this way. And I'm loving this way of thinking. And I'm, I feel very strongly about it, but I try to never get into that convincing energy because I know that the people who want to hear it and want their lives to feel differently and want to understand their brains and all of that 
are going to make that decision for for themselves. They're going to hear what I have to say in a different way. They're going to love what I'm standing up for and run with it. And there's other people who are just going to hear it and think, well, you know, not for me. And that's fine too. I make room for all of that. But I, it's not that Aaron Burr problem where if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? I stand for so many things very, very strongly. I stand strong in my beliefs and I love them. And I love other people and what they want to believe too. It's a very cool place to get to. And I'm still working on it, you guys. You have to remember that one reason I'm so good at teaching you all this stuff is because I am consistently and continually working on these things in my life. It's not because I've arrived in these places and don't ever struggle with this stuff anymore. I'm so good at thinking about this because I think about it all the time and I you know, do it the old way again and I think, oh, okay, I did it again. What could I try this time? What's another way I could try to think about this to, to stay in my higher brain when it comes to these things, you know? Okay, so when we do what it takes to stay in our higher brain when it comes to this type of thinking, when we seek for that happy medium thinking, we have some incredible results. I've already mentioned them a little bit, but one that I really want to point to is that we're able to get more done, right? So when we're in the all or nothing thinking, like the weeding, right? Rather than going out and doing 10 minutes of weeding, instead I was doing no weeding, right? Another area that you might have this is you might learn about some organization that is helping people and you think, I want to help people, but then you get overwhelmed pretty quickly because you think I have to help everybody or nobody, right? And then you kind of end up doing nothing. So when you make room for the happy medium type of thinking, you think, oh, I'll go help this organization today. I'll donate a little money here. I don't have time to help people right now, but I have a little bit of extra money I can donate here. Or I don't have time to make my yard look perfect, but I can go weed this one area, Okay, so we get more done. That's one of my favorite results, okay? Another result is that we get to enjoy open-minded thinking. When there's only one right way to do something, that's a very limited way of thinking about the world. And it can be a little bit exhausting. <laughs> we have to manage our minds that way to stay in that, in that space. So when you're able to open up your mind, you have so much more peace and acceptance and love for everyone around you and for yourself. And it feels so good. Okay, I want to end with just this thought about how how all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking or binary thinking does serve you. Our lower brain is so powerful and so awesome and we don't want to throw it out. We want to work with it and embrace the parts of it that are just superpowers. So it can really help you to think to live in a black and white world in some areas, right? In those areas where there are absolute truths. In those areas where something is always wrong when it happens. Another place that it can really help is when you're wanting to endure to the end of something or be good at finishing projects or things like that because when you lean into, I'm all in on this, right? That's kind of the way I want you to think about the all or nothing serving you. When you want to be all in on something, it can help you accomplish tasks and finish even when you don't want to and things like that. And it can help you in a way, stand very strongly in what you want to believe. So when we understand that all or nothing thinking can serve us in a way, but we just need to make sure that we're choosing it intentionally and not just defaulting to all or nothing thinking. So when our lower brain offers us those thoughts, those all or nothing thoughts that don't serve us, that's when we're defaulting to all or nothing thinking. But there's going to be plenty of times in our life where we can intentionally choose that binary black and white way of thinking. And if it's serving you, go for it. If it's limiting you or frustrating you or exhausting you, 
chances are you've applied it in an area where it doesn't serve you. Just like there's areas of your life where you can just completely abstain from things. And then there's area of life where then there's areas of life where you can just use moderation. That's what this is like when when intentionally applying binary thinking is serving you. That's a place where okay, I'm just going to. That's like where it would serve you to abstain from something, right? But when you're trying to abstain from something that maybe should just have moderation applied to it, so you find yourself failing, it's not serving you, it's frustrating you, it's exhausting you. Those are places where you're probably trying to apply binary thinking to an area where happy medium thinking would serve you so much better. So this is where just getting clear on this and understanding it, getting that awareness is going to really start to help you make sense of all of this and decide who you want to be in the world. And it feels so good. So your mission for this episode is to, again, watch out for all or nothing thinking, intentionally choose to find your own version of what your happy medium thinking is in all these types of areas, right? In your beliefs, your thoughts, your actions, your solutions. And then finally, to just be very kind to yourself when you're indulging in all or nothing thinking, even when it doesn't serve you (laughs) and be kind and understanding for other people when they're doing that as well, because it's just going to happen forever. And one of the biggest steps you can take is to just understand it, know what it is, acknowledge it when it happens, and then seek to do what it is that you want to do to create the life you want to create. I'm going to end this episode with a quick hot mess moment. I was just remembering this the other day because I was nostalgically thinking about road trips and kind of missing traveling in general. And I was remembering this one time we were driving home from California. We used to drive to Southern California quite a bit because my family had a condo there that we could stay at that we don't have anymore and we're missing it terribly. So we've made that road trip a bunch of times. And I think we had four kids at this time and my kids were all just being grumpy. They're all pretty little, like probably 10 and down. And I was getting hungry and my husband was getting hungry and when the kids were being grumpy, I thought, oh, they must just be hungry and we all need a break from the car. And so we stopped somewhere in Nevada. We weren't in Las Vegas, but we were somewhere that had casinos still. I don't know. Anyway, we wanted IHOP. That sounded good to everybody. My kids, you know, it's easy. They love pancakes and eggs and, you know, the yummy things you can order there. And none of us were really in the mood for fast food. So we saw an IHOP that was inside of a casino and we get in there and get seated And everyone's still pretty grumpy, but again, we're all still hungry, or at least I think that's what's going on. And we get menus and I make my kids pick what they want, you know, off the kids menu. And we were in that phase of life where sometimes you have your kids split meals and that works out perfectly, but sometimes they scarf that food and then they're all starving and you have to order more food. So then the next time you go out to eat, you let everyone order their own meal, but then everyone has two bites and they're full and you have all this food that nobody ate. So we would just, we would always go back and forth between, okay, do you split a meal with someone or do you order your own meal? So we decided that we would have everyone order their own meal because then if there was any food left over, we could just bring it in the car and they could eat more while we were driving. And we thought that was a good plan. So we're looking at the menu And the prices are crazy. And I guess we hadn't experienced this before, but it was like double, triple price of what we were used to paying at IHOP. So the kids are looking at their kids menu and it's like $12 for a little kids meal where where what we were used to paying was more like, I don't know, $6 probably for a kids meal. And it comes with a little, little side and a drink and whatever, you're good to go. And so we just kind of swallowed and said, okay, whatever, like we're here, let's do this. So we all order. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be so expensive. 
and we get our food and my kids don't even take one bite. My husband and I are eating and I just keep looking at my kids like, come on guys, you know, eat. And they were all just kind of glaring at me, not eating, not talking. And I stand up and walk around the table and the three of my four kids have fevers. I had no idea my kids were sick. (laughs) Oh, it was so funny to me because I just kept thinking that their grumpiness and their lack of response and whatever was just, they'd been in the car too long and they're hungry and they're tired, whatever. They were sick and I just was missing all those signals. So I realized we now have like a hundred dollars worth of food here that nobody's eating. I mean, my husband and I ate, you know, we have all this kid's food here. Nobody has an appetite. My fourth one who didn't have a fever, I think ended up with a fever like the next morning. So they were on like the verge of getting sick. So they didn't have an appetite. And we are grumpy and grumbling, but also kind of laughing. It's one of those moments where you can laugh or cry. We're in this casino. Everyone has to go to the bathroom, but the bathroom's super far away from the table we're sitting. So I'm like taking kids back and forth to the bathroom. And anyway, it was just this whole fiasco. And we pack up all their food. Because I'm thinking, you know, they've got a fever, but, you know, they might get hungry later. So we take it with us. We pay that bill. Again, just what we thought would be maybe like a $40, $50 meal was like a $100 meal, (laughs) which isn't a big deal. But, you know, we were still young and it's still, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to pay for a lot of food that you didn't eat. I don't know. That's a big deal to me. So we pack up all their food, go out in the car, finish our drive. Nobody touches their food the whole drive. I think, in fact, one person might have even like thrown up. It was just a real mess. And we got home and everyone was just super sick. And we just remember that time. Like, I think we'll even drive by when we're on a road trip since then. When we've been on road trips since then, we'll say, oh, remember we stopped at that IHOP? And and we just reminisce about that time. So here's to the moms whose kids are sick and they had no idea. (laughs) Okay, that's what I have for you guys today. Are you ready to take what you are learning here on the podcast to the next level? Then join me for resiliency training. This is my monthly coaching program that includes a private coaching session with me each month, along with weekly content and individual email support. Start any time for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the difficulties of military life, and that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.